all still here? And I'm glad to see that you're here. I checked out the first service. I want to be, if, because if they weren't there, we were going to have a real prayer meeting. But they're all here. So I want you to stand with me to read a couple of verses. Then let me talk to you about this. And the reality of the return of Christ and the necessity for staying with the scriptures. Look what Jesus said in Acts 1-7 when he's about to ascend to the Father. About a hundred disciples are gathered there, the twelve and then others that have joined them. And Jesus says this to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now notice, in the mind of God, the date of the return of Christ is fixed. But guess what? He's the only one that knows. He's the only one that knows. Now, Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 24, which is the second coming of Christ's chapter, he said, concerning that day or hour, no one, can you say with me, no one? No one knows. Now look, he expands on that. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Not even Jesus knows. But the Father only. And the Father, this is one thing the Father has kept in his own authority, in his own mind, to himself. And when the time comes, he's going to turn to the Son and say, all right, it's time, go get your bride. But until he does... Until he does, nobody knows but the Father. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you that you alone know. And it's already fixed on your calendar when Jesus will be sent to gather his bride. Until then, Lord, we just trust you and we put our hand to the plow. And we pray that this message and others like it being preached today will clear the confusion and establish your people in the word not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness of men, but establishing your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's coming soon and you can be seated. Now, let me talk to you for a little bit about this. If you don't know, I'll kind of bring you up to speed about the predictions of a man named Harold Camping, an 89-year-old gentleman. I'm not going to say he's lost or saved or anything like that, but he made a prediction. Up until yesterday, he had gotten quite a bit of press over his prediction that the world was going to come to an end yesterday. And I don't know how long this had built up I, from just what I've been watching and reading. Uh, it, the, the expectation and the, the word of it began to grow over a period of at least a year that he's been saying this. And his way of arriving at this uh, conclusion was very convoluted. Listen to him for a little bit. And after listening to him some, I said, you know what? Uh, it's really not worth following this rabbit. I'm going to just cut to the chase. He was wrong. He was wrong. And Anybody that really knows their Bible knew that he was wrong based on the words of Jesus Christ that we just read. Now, unfortunately, 
This is not the very first time that he's done this. In 1994, he made the same prediction, September 6th, 1994. That didn't come to pass either, and he sort of, oops, I calculated wrong. Now I know it's May 21st, uh, 2011. Of course, it wasn't right. Now, I remember when I was pastoring in East Texas, this, uh, there, a pamphlet began to move through the church, and it spread like wildfire, and the title of it was this. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. And it was sometime in September, and a lot of Christians around me began to get all hyped up about this and excited about this. And so there I was pastoring, and I tried to say, look, the Scripture is very clear. Jesus said nobody knows. Well, but he gave us a special revelation. No, he did not. God didn't give you a revelation. He hadn't bothered to give Jesus. Come on now. Let's come down to earth. And so as this date in September 1988 approached, the excitement grew and grew. I knew a couple of people that quit their jobs, got rid of their belongings, did everything they could because they just knew they were going in 88 when it didn't happen. I watched several of them leave the church, disillusioned. Their faith was scandalized. They had been young, immature. Can I tell you, that the will of God for everyone in this room is that we would grow up into maturity where when these things come, we're not tossed around. We're not blown around by every wind of doctrine. We're not deceived by these predictions. And the way we grow up is letting the Scriptures stabilize us. So it didn't happen in 88, it didn't happen in 94, and it didn't happen yesterday. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do you really know that somebody like this is wrong? Because I watched him on TV or heard him on the radio. He owns a network of 100 radio stations. I wanted to go to him and say, since you're going to be gone May 21st, that's what I wanted to do. And I'm not making a joke at his expense. I'm really not. But I would sure like those 100 radio stations. But be that as it may, um, to wonder how you can really know, it's a valid question, and I want to answer it today. First, the number one way we know that anybody who comes up with a date, a day or an hour, you can know the season, and we're going to look at that in a minute. We can know the season. There are characteristics of the season in which Christ will return. There are signs of the time. But no one knows the day. No one can put a date on it. No one can nail it down to an hour or a date on a calendar. How do you know that? Because Jesus said so, number one. And if Jesus said it, it settles it. It's just that simple. There's not going to be an extra biblical revelation. God's not going to tell you something to add on to the Bible. The Bible's completed. It's done. It's finished. It's Revelations 22. It was done. We have the completed canon, and God is not ever going to contradict His Word, ever. If you ever have a voice that says to you, well, you know, I know that's what the Bible says, but I'm making an exception with you, you can know that right then you're listening to a foreign, satanic, deceiving voice. Mr. Camping did not get an extra biblical revelation. 
God didn't change his mind when it came to him. Concerning that day and hour, said Jesus, no one, no one, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, knowing this, why would Mr. Camping go forward with this? I'm going to tell you why. Zeal without knowledge. Zeal without wisdom can be very, very dangerous. With our zeal, we need wisdom. We need the reins of knowledge. We need the restraint of understanding with our zeal. I, th I thank God for zeal. I love zealous people. I don't ever want to lose my zeal, but I've learned through the years, boy, we need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of God to rightly use knowledge. Now, the second reason we know that the end of the world would not be on May 21st is because the next event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, not the end of the world. The next major event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church. When Jesus comes for his bride, not the end of the world, the end of the world comes after that. Now, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It is a word that theologians through the years use to coin the event described by Paul, by Christ, by the New Testament, where the church will be suddenly caught up. The idea raptured, snatched off the face of the earth. The Bible says the rapture is that event when all true believers are called to meet the Lord in the air. If you don't like flying, because I promise you one day, according to the Word of God, there is going to be a great catching away. Listen to what the Word says. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church. He comforts them with these words. He says, the Lord himself, Jesus Christ himself, will descend from heaven with a loud cry of summons, with a shout of an archangel, and the blast of a trumpet. There will be a cry, a shout, and a blast. And those who have departed this life in Christ are going to be resurrected from the grave. Graveyards all over the world are going to experience a, a massive emptying of those who died in the faith. You say, now, Pastor Jeff, do you really believe this? Isn't this just kind of mythological? Isn't this kind of like Brothers Grimm fairy tales? No, it's not. Well, how will God do that? How did he create the world? Ex nihilo. He said, let there be, and something came out of nothing. There were birds, fishes, animals, vegetation, blue sky, clouds, dirt, land, mountains, valleys, oceans. Where'd they come from? They didn't evolve. They were spoken into existence by a mighty God, creator God, who said, let it be, and it was. He's the only being in all the universe that can do that. We can't do that. We can only make something out of what already exists, not God. God says, I don't care if it's there or not. If it's not there, I will speak it into existence. You are not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God. Now, how's he going to do it? He's going to speak the word. There will be a trumpet blast, a shout, and those who have died in Christ are going to come out of the grave. I said those who have died in Christ are going to come out of the grave. 
You say, well, but they're going to be ashes. That doesn't matter to God. If God can create something out of nothing, what is it to God to put together ashes again? God has no issue with that. Why is that an issue with God? It doesn't matter if they were cremated. It doesn't matter if they've been in the grave 2,000 years. They will be resurrected from the dead. They will receive a glorified body in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The word that the apostle used when he said moment is the word atomos, the word from which we get atom. And it means a moment of time that is so minuscule, so tiny, you can't divide it. In a moment, faster than a camera flash, faster than a blink, you're not going to kind of float up, hey, everybody, hey, hey, isn't this great? No, no, no. This is not Six Flags. This is the Almighty God will say, that's it. The last person has been saved. The last person is, I am ready. What has been locked away, fixed in my mind all this time, I'm ready. Go. Get them, son. And a trumpet will blow. There will be a shout. And here's the way. You're going to be walking, talking, doing something. And boom. Be there. Be there. Boom. Well, Pastor Jeff, I just don't believe that. Well, then what do you do with John 3.16? Because it came out of the same Bible. Now, it doesn't stop with the dead rising. It says, Then we, the living ones who remain on the earth, shall simultaneously be caught up along with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so always through the eternity of the eternities, we shall be with the Lord. Catch this. Grandma, granddad, parents, children, friends who have died in the faith. If you're alive when the Lord returns in the great catching up, the great rapture of the church, they will go up before you, but you, there will be a meeting, it says so, in the clouds, in the air, so we will be called up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can you imagine this? Think about this for a minute. Um, people that were kidnapped. People from whom you've been estranged. Relatives, friends, acquaintances. Those that died in Christ. Whose coffins you stood over and wept and said goodbye. They're going to be there if they died in Christ. What an incredible family reunion. What an incredible regathering. What an incredible resurrection of hope. Paul said, I want you to comfort each other with these words. He was talking to those who were grieved because loved ones had died in the Lord and they were weeping over them. He said, let me tell you something. This is not forever. There's going to be a regathering. There's going to be a family reunion. This is not a final goodbye. I don't ever preach a funeral that I do not preach this word right here. That's the rapture. That's the catching away. And though we don't know the day or the hour, we know that the event is in God's mind and it will certainly happen. Now, after this incredible event, a time period known as the tribulation period, which is going to last for seven years, will begin. And at the end of that time will come God's judgment and the second coming of Jesus. And when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period, 
that is going to be the end of the world as we know it. First, there's got to be a tribulation period. Seven years long, the first three and a half years, everything you've seen in the movies and heard about, a man named Antichrist, the personification of all evil, the devil's child, a man consummately fully evil, will come on the world scene via pol politics. He'll seize power politically. He'll have great charisma, great attractiveness, well-spoken, magnetic, likable, but he will be evil through and through to the marrow of his bones, the child of the devil. He'll take control. And what he'll do is he'll broker a peace agreement with the Middle East. Now, I want you to stop and think about it. How powerful and accurate the Word of God is. Because the Word of God told us way, 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 way back, I was reading it this week, where Zechariah and Jesus and all the prophets talked about the day that Israel would be surrounded by armies and there would be a great, a great attack against the land of Israel surrounded by hostile nations. That Israel would be surrounded by those that hated them and wanted their total destruction. Ezekiel talked about it. Daniel talked about it. Jesus talked about it. Zechariah talked about it. That they would be surrounded by enemies. Now stop and think about it. Zechariah wrote these words down in chapter 12. He said, the day will come. In the last days, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone, a problem, a worldwide, and it said all the nations will be concerned about and burdened about Israel. Look at your news now. Look at your news now. Zechariah, thousands of years ago. You can't watch the news now without Israel being the lead story. All of the tumult, all of the war, all of the turmoil, the Arab-Israeli conflict it has become a burdensome stone for the entire world. Just like God said, that little slice of land, no bigger than <coughs> New Jersey has become the sore thumb of the entire world. And the Bible says that Antichrist will come out of nowhere and he will broker a peace with them. He will be the one who brings an Arab-Israeli peace. Have you noticed every president we've had, one after another after another, has tried it and has not been able to do it because it's not right. It's not God's time. It is reserved. It will not happen, mark it down, until Antichrist brokers the peace. If you wake up and there has come a peace between the Arabs and the Jews and a peace treaty, boy, I mean, repent quick and get right quick. <laughs> now watch this. <clears throat> he will do this. He'll broker a peace. And when he brokers this peace, he will give them permission to rebuild their temple, to reinstitute the Old Testament sacrifices and religious systems. They'll start offering the Old Testament sacrifices. They'll believe that this great man has finally brought peace and set them free when, in fact, they will have cut a deal with the devil. After three and a half years, he's going to walk into the temple, sit down in the Holy of Holies, and say, I am God. He will stop their worship. He will begin to persecute the Jews with great ferocity. And when he does this, it's called the abomination of desolation. It happens three and a half years through the seven years. When he does this, 
all hell breaks loose on planet Earth. There we begin now immediately marching into the War of Armageddon, the War of Wars, the Mother of Wars, the worst war the world will ever have witnessed, the war so bad that Jesus said, if I did not return and stop it, all mankind would be wiped out. Then at the end of that tribulation period, when the battle of Armageddon is at full steam and man is about to annihilate himself, Christ will appear in the sky in the second coming. Now, I got to tell you the differences, just a few of the differences between the rapture and the second coming so that you're not confused about this. The rapture must come first, the great catching away. Here it is. At the rapture, believers meet the Lord in the air. At the second coming, believers return with the Lord to the earth. Jude wrote, he said, Behold, the Lord my God comes with ten thousands of his saints. And Zechariah spoke of the same thing. The second coming occurs after the great and terrible tribulation, but the rapture occurs before the tribulation. The rapture is the removal of believers from the earth as an act of deliverance. Think Noah. Think Lot. Think Enoch. Noah was taken out before judgment. Lot was taken out before judgment. We will be taken out before judgment, the tribulation period. But the second coming will be the removal of unbelievers as an act of judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he's going to gather all the nations to himself when he returns in the second coming and judge them. This one's real important. The rapture will be secret, sudden, and instant. The second coming is going to be visible to all. John the Revelator wrote, he said, Behold, every eye will see him. It will be so bad, folks, for those who resisted Christ, went on in their sin, did not repent. It will be so bad when he returns in the second coming. The Bible says men will be praying a prayer. Mountains fall on me. Rocks cover me. And hide me from the face of him who sits on the throne. Jesus left as the Lamb of God is returning as the Lion of Judah. He left as the servant. He's coming back as the master. He left as the crucified Lord. He's coming back as the reigning king. I'm telling you. And so fearsome for the sinner will be this second coming, this return of Christ. Every eye will see him. Networks will be panned on him. The whole world will behold him. Even those who pierced him because they will have been resurrected to face him. So exactly when Jesus will come for his church in the rapture, we don't know exactly the day, but Jesus provided the amazing information that he was coming back for sure, even though he didn't know the day or the hour, it was for certain going to happen. Now, here's what's sad. Many of the misguided uh, advice or people that were misguided by Mr. Camping are very disillusioned today, feeling like fools today because they follow this advice. That's, that's really unfortunate. I've seen it before. Thousands of them. Uh, I, I read a little bit about it. Leading up to May 21st, Mr. Camping's network of radio stations took in $18 million in 2010 alone to help him spread the word of the end of the world. Billboard signs and vehicles with signs displaying the end of the world, uh, dot of the American landscape, 
billboards everywhere. Are you ready for the end? Ready for the end? His followers sold houses. They sold lands, quit jobs, made other arrangements for a very, very long vacation. Farmed their pets out to people. Of course, I happen to believe my dog's going with me. There is no way the Lord's leaving my little dog. I'm just, that's just between me and him. I've laid hands on my dog. You're going. No. Networks, networks, and we knew this would happen, known for their anti-Christian bias, ran stories highlighting Mr. Camping and his predictions with their typical tongue-in-cheek, ridiculing attitude. Atheists in the United States today, right now, are celebrating in, in rapture-after parties, making light of the Lord, His Word, His church, his predictions. But I got to tell you, I want to give you a warning. I want to give you a warning and everybody listening by radio a warning. I want you to listen carefully to me because I'm speaking to you the, the scriptures, not Jeff. The scriptures warn about scoffers and mockers of the last days. The scriptures tell us that they will proliferate. They will, they will, they will flourish mockers and scoffers making fun of the promises of God, making fun of Christ, mocking Christ, mocking his church. Peter wrote, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, that's us, scoffers will come, scoffing, mocking, ridiculing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, they go on to say, they reason, they're using human reasoning. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. It's all the same old, same old. Don't give me this Jesus coming back stuff. Come on down to earth and be real. But Peter reminds us of something. He says, don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient, patient, with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why has Christ not returned yet? The incredible, inscrutable, unfathomable patience of God. I tell Kathy all the time, I tell Kathy all the time, if I was the Lord, I'd wrap this thing up. If I was God, I'd wrap this up. If I was God for five minutes, would I have a good time? I'd wrap this up. But you know what? God is looking and he's saying, being lost is so horrible. The consequences are so terrible. The thought of it so incomprehensible that, that I'm waiting. I'm patient. It is the patience of God that he hasn't come back. It's the patience of God that there is another day. It's the patience of God that there is still an opportunity to be saved. But a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. So as far as God's concerned, Jesus has been gone two days. Now, while we don't know the exact date of Christ's return, he did give us several signs that will characterize the time. Let me go over them quickly with you before we go today. Here's the signs of the times. First, Jesus said in Matthew 24, the chapter of the second coming of Christ, Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and will mislead many. First sign, false prophets and false Christ will proliferate, will flourish, will expand and grow and become more and more prevalent. 
with every one of these signs, keep this in mind, the G, Jesus said every one of these signs are like birth pangs. When a woman goes into birth pangs, they start a certain amount of time apart, and then they get closer and closer and closer and closer together until the birth comes. With every one of these signs, Jesus is not saying they've never been before. He's not saying this is going to be something totally new. He's just saying that the frequency and the intensity with which these things happen is going to accelerate like a woman getting ready to have a child. And when the child comes, the child he's predicting is the millennial reign of Christ, the brand new world, the brand new age. So he said, false prophets in Christ are going to proliferate and grow. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. He said, there's going to be people who literally say, I am Christ. Telling the first service that there's a guy out there right now, has a prison record, but he decided he'd go out and say, I'm Christ. Do you know that he has gathered around himself thousands of people who have made him ridiculously wealthy just because he was able to say, I am Christ, I am Christ, and they have believed him. People will believe anything if you say it long enough. To the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. When they meet with this man, they come and they drop money at his feet. They worship him as Christ, but they can look on the internet and see his prison record. We've witnessed in America nothing short of an explosion of false Christs and prophets since the second half of the 20th century. Joseph Smith was a false prophet. The founder of Jehovah's Witnesses was a false prophet. Muhammad was a false prophet. These are religions that have flourished around people who Jesus predicted would show up, would appear. Second thing he said, wars. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Wars and rumors of wars. Because of 24-hour news now, you can't turn it on and not hear about a war or a rumor of war. Jesus said, see to it that you're not filled with a spirit of fear. But you see these as signs, as, as landmarks, as signs pointing to the soon return of Christ. Nation arise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Do you know that most, more, more people have been killed in warfare in, in the 20th century that just went by than any other time in history? And as the death toll rises in the Middle East, more and more countries are working overtime to develop devastating weapons of mass destruction. We now have a Pakistan that is nuclear and about to be taken over by the Muslim Brotherhood. We have Egypt that is being taken over now by the Muslim Brotherhood. We have a volatile, explosive Middle East, yet God has all of it in His hands. It's all leading up to what He said. But He said, don't be troubled. Have peace. And I want you to say with me, He's got it in the hollow of His hand. Jesus said, there's also going to be an increase in famine. There will be famines in various areas. I was surprised to read of the 5 billion people or so on earth, more than 1 billion of them, more than a fifth of them will go to bed hungry tonight. Famines, African famine, famines spreading across the world, children dying, no food. He said there's going to be an increase in earthquakes. There will be earthquakes in many various places. Now, I take this to mean the earth will continue to experience the birth pangs. 
Paul spoke about it in Romans 8.22. In Romans 8.22, he let us know that all of creation was affected by sin. Animals, marine life, the birds, everything felt the trauma of sin. And he said, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Look it up on the internet. A staggering number of seismic events occur around the world now on a daily basis. Birth pangs, groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Tribulation and persecutions. Here's a big one. Jesus said, here's a sign. All these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs, Jesus said. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations on account of my name. Christians are under attack all throughout the world. You know why? Because they're Christian. In the United States, we've still got a level of freedom, though there are a lot of forces trying to take that away from the church as we speak. We can still come together like this and worship God without fear of arrest. Certain things that I'm in danger of teaching out of the Word of God, somebody could call it a hate crime. We get ridiculed, we get hated, we get discriminated against at work or in schools. Children in, in America, can you believe it? I, I can't believe it. It has gone and passed by, that it has actually come to pass in America. But there are schools where children can't bring a cross, can't bring a Bible, can't bring a T-shirt with a Bible verse on it. But this nation was dedicated to Christianity, to the God of the Christian, to the Judeo-Christian God. And yet now, a little child can't take a cross or a Bible to school without it being taken away from them, lest it offend somebody. Can I say something boldly today? What about offending the Christian? But in many other countries such as China, Sudan, Africa, Saudi Arabia, North Korea, Russia, and almost all Muslim nations. Christians are being tortured as I speak, martyred as I speak, on a daily basis. Why are they being killed? Muslims are swooping in with the sword, taking their head off because they said, I believe in Christ. Men of God, women of God, dads, moms, teenagers are losing their lives because they're saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, period. That's it. That's their crime. The gospel will be preached, Jesus said, throughout the whole world, and then the end will come. Notice Jesus said, there is a the end to this book called life, called the world. Every book finally says the end. Jesus said, this world has at the end of it the end. There's an end. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world for a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. Well, the gospel being preached to the whole world has already been fulfilled. We ourselves are getting ready to go on the Internet in a special new outreach that is going to take us into all the communist countries, all the Muslim countries. We're going to be preaching all over the world in places we could never walk into. So it's already been fulfilled there. Now, while I did not believe that uh, the end of the world was going to come on May 21st, here's what I want to just pose to you today. Let's think about the end of your world, my world, because there will be an end to our life. All of us are going to die unless we're raptured. 
To me, the issue is not the date. The the issue is, are you ready for the date? Are you ready? Because that was Jesus' message. I want you to be ready. Parable of the virgins, parable of the talents, everything he said about the end was, I want you to be ready. The Bible says, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. Now, let me ask you a question before we pray today. If Jesus were to come right now, would you be thrilled? Would you be happy to see him? Or would you feel like, "Uh uh-oh, I better go this, 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 and this, and this, and then I'll be happy to see him? Would you welcome his return? I know people that couldn't. There's no way they could. I think the Lord wants us to take this whole ordeal with this, this man who made these predictions and all the world was in tumult and turmoil over it. The real issue is, are you ready to meet your God? Are you washed in the blood? Now listen carefully to me. You know, I know I'm being strong, but I, I feel this strongly in the day in which we live, uh, that Jesus is the way. And the truth and the life. See, are you ready to meet your... Well, yeah, I believe in God, but are you ready as far as Christ is concerned? Have you prepared that way to meet your God? Well, how do I do that? I was in a jail um, as a 16-year-old boy for drug abuse and rebellion against authority. I deserved to be in there. But when I was in there, I heard the gospel, just simple gospel. And I'd never prayed in my life, but I prayed. I didn't pray a fancy prayer. I didn't know a fancy prayer. I wasn't religious. I wasn't religious. I just said, Jesus, I believe that what I've heard about you, it's true. And I'm asking you to come into my heart. Nobody handed me a rule book. Nobody handed me a rehabilitation program. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but my nature needed to be changed. My problem was my nature. And sitting there in jail in a dingy, green-walled room in big trouble. I said, Jesus, come into my heart. Something happened to me that was a miracle. And the Lord came into my heart. And when that happened, he began to change me from the inside out. Wasn't a New Year's resolution, nothing like that. He changed me. It was that simple. It was that simple. But I had to acknowledge who he was. Are you ready that way to meet your God? So let's stand together, can we? I would love to pray with some people today. Do you know that you can be ready before you leave this building to meet your God? All he wants is come to me and say, I've sinned, and I know that you're the answer for my sin. Your blood will cover my sin. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart and lead me from this moment forward. It's that simple. You can be ready before you leave this building to meet your God. All he wants is 
come to me and say, I've sinned, and I know that you're the answer for my sin. Your blood will cover my sin. Jesus, forgive me.